Mate, you can't keep blowing up the lab every week. Oh my God. This is, this is my third set of uh, safety spectacles. It's unacceptable, but I know that you're working on something. I can hear well, it bubbling away. I just Well, yeah, old habits, Tommy. Okay, well, we've got a show to do, so we better get ourselves organised. Yep. Big guest. Big. A lot of pressure. Yeah, that's fine. Pressure cooker. You can handle that. I'm in the slow cooker overnight. That's I'm absolutely fine. RTG, <laughs> ready to go. You've had the dry ice in the slow cooker over. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, mate, let's get ready. Big show on the way under the bar podcast. Welcome to another episode of Under the Bar podcast, which Dr. Hewitt with you, along with uh, Professor Dubious. Du- very, that's for Alan, Aragon. Oh, yep, great. Mr. AA. Dubious, yep. AA. Um, okay, right. So, Dalton Frank is our very special guest on this Frankie. episode. Franks and Beans. <laughs> and um, he's an amazing mind and coach based out of Brisbane. Used to work with Dean and Lizzie at Flex Success. Rawdon, that's how we ah, yeah. um that's the how Flex we guys. we met Dalton the first time. Working in conjunction on the the Evil Genius Down Under seminars a couple of years ago now, whenever that was. Back in the day. Back in well, the that day. That was the semin- that was uh that was like Noah's Ark. We built it and they came. It was, <laughs> it uh, was. we had thousands yeah, of yeah. uh Attendees, mm. over a hundred, over a hundred. Yeah, was, uh, there were some free tickets, granted, but uh, sure. good it, turnout. It was a moment in time. Moment in time. Uh, so Dalton, these days, he's based out of Brisbane, but works online. Really interesting approach to behavioural change, Rawdon. I think that's that's one of the interesting approach things. to everything. This yeah, cat. Uh, he yeah. studied um, acceptance and commitment therapy as mm-hmm. some of his qualifications. He's also currently in the process of doing a bachelor of exercise and nutrition science. So just mm. to get the you know the hard bit of paper that he can shake around in people's yep. faces, but yep. he kind of he knows so much as mm. is with all the research that he does and, and touch of the Tullocks, touch of the yeah. and, uh, and Broads uh, and um, the Lehmans, touch of the Lehmans. Yeah, he's slightly quirky. Yes, quirky, definitely slightly quirky, definitely quirky, very driven, mm. very productive. Yep, and uh, it was very enjoyable to, to talk to him. So Thoroughly. we had three sessions with Dalton. So mm. we'll have a, we had a, three therapy sessions. Yeah. We, I was actually lying <laughs> down for all three of them. I feel very refreshed after spending time with Dalton. Yep. So the, today, uh, basically, what we're going to do today is we'll go through, um, you know, how he got into the industry, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff, and then we'll be looking at some of the key concepts that underpin his methods of working with people. Yeah, he's got like a, a series. Yes, so week I think one, week two, that type of stuff. Exactly. So he mm. starts with the very low hanging fruit and takes them through the process mm. of, of change over time, layer upon layer, as you would say. Yeah, like, like a layer a, cake. Layer cake or lasagna. Ooh. Italian. Okay, that's for you, Federica. Mm. Well done, mate. That's mm. very nice of you. <laughs> okay, so that's what we've got. Um, we'll get to Dalton. We might um, intersperse throughout the interview if there's a couple of things that we feel we need to we pick will. up on. Yeah. This is about us. It this is. interview. It's our podcast. Ah. You know, in the studio. Listen to that creaminess. <laughs> you don't get that from uh, at home on Zoom. On the Zoom, yes. Just you don't pay the big for bucks us. for nothing, Tommy. There can be only one. All right. Let's go to Dalton Frank. Do you want to illuminate the under the bar listener as to uh, who you are, how you got here? 
and then we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. So uh, thanks for having me on board, obviously, as well. I love it. I love you guys. It's always great to listen to this. Uh, some of my favorite podcast episodes come from your guys' stuff, so it's awesome to be mm-hmm. here, surreal. Uh, who am I? <laughs> I'm a failed athlete. I was never really good as an athlete. I was a failed uh, infantryman, so I was in the Army for a while. I was never the best infantryman. Uh, failed at Special Forces applicant. Failed at uh, as a PT. <laughs> so I failed as a special forces stuff. Kind of realized that I was never really good at the the high end performance stuff, and I was like, how do I get better? So I started reading into things and uh, essentially converted myself from the, this athlete attempt into uh, someone that kind of really appreciated and understood all the literature and had a big breadth for it. So I kind of became obsessed with figuring out how to make myself better. And then realizing my own shortcomings that I would never be better because I just wasn't gifted in some of the genetic aspects and stuff like that. Uh, I became more appreciative of uh, things like nutritional interventions, training interventions, uh, the use of appropriate supplements and sports enhancing products. So uh, I got an eye for a range of things that really could help me out. But I, in doing that, I ended up finding uh, a fair few people that wanted to know how I could help them. And instead of applying to myself, I applied it to these other people and found that they had really great results. Um, and when I tried to apply it to myself, it was never really, have you ever tried to tell yourself to do something and it like doesn't work as well as if someone else tells you to do it? I yeah. same, right? Like you tell yourself what to do with a, a, a diet and I'm like, Oh, sweet. Follow that through. And then I can argue to myself as to why I could have a diet break and stuff. And it's hard to like out logic yourself. So I found when I was doing it for clients, it worked really well. When I did it for myself, not so much. So I was like, maybe I'm meant a little bit better as not an athlete, but more the coaching role. So I uh, went from personal training into coaching. I had, I just grew tired of trying to do, deliver the same amount of work in a, a working week where people were only available at like specific times. And you just get so limited by how much time you have in the day uh, to going like, uh, I'll just start doing this online stuff and see if that worked out. And this was like, 2014, 15 or something like that. Just, just see what happens. Uh, before I knew it, I had a whole bunch of clients from around the world. I was doing that semi-successfully that I was like, I'll just drop out from the, the gym. I'll move it all on here and see what happens. Uh, and then from there, I kind of started arguing with people online and it was back in the day where like Facebook forums and groups and stuff like that were one of the main lead generation ways for people to get content. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I just realized it was a way for people to say stuff that I thought was wrong and for me to challenge them. And in doing that, I kind of created a whole bunch of different dynamics and relationships and stuff and got involved with, uh, you know, some amazing uh, educators. So uh, people like James Krieger, Alan Aragon, Lyle McDonald. Um, I got, I would get involved in all their stuff. I'd follow their research, Eric Helms and whatnot. Um, so would read all their stuff, get involved amongst them. And before I knew it, kind of had enough of a name that people, when they saw my stuff pop up, they were either like, Ooh, what, what has this guy said now kind of thing yeah. or that would egg me on and send me messages and trigger me into like these fights with people and stuff like that. Yeah. I, mean, I thought I wasn't easily manipulated until I read back on some of these posts and I'm like, damn, like I was an idiot. <laughs> just baiting me left and right. Um, so I, yeah, I did that, got involved in that and kept kind of moving along as like a coach and did my stuff online, had a weird space in getting involved in a bunch of different groups tried it to do it myself. I realized I'm a crappy marketer and stuff like that. So I just can't talk about myself in a way that makes people want to listen to me as an authority. But if I have to describe a nutritional concept or a training concept or something about physiology, then like my passion over and people can kind of hear it through that. So I wasn't the greatest at marketing, but as long as I had a few clients and stuff that wanted to work with me, I was always like pretty happy. I didn't need to have 
hundred clients and stuff like that. I was never chasing anything. I just like to be able to help people. So I did that kind of ended up into like a weird space where I was doing that myself as a hybrid model. So I had people across the gym that wanted to work with me as well as the people that I was working with online. I uh, did that where I was kind of touching base back and forth, realized that again, the in the in-person stuff is just super limiting. You can't work with people. You have to work, like make sure everyone's ready for stuff. Uh, and I just kept finding reasons to not do it. It was just, I thought it was going to be great. Didn't work out. Um, and then I've been online for the last like four years as like my sole job. It feels really weird to wake up, sit in my underwear at home, type on my computer, tell people to train around the world uh, and, you know, walk around <laughs> with coffees and stuff like that. But that's my job. <laughs> what, um, what, uh, endurance athletes, you know, track and yeah, field. Well, yeah. Like everyone, I like, I just liked helping people be better in like uh, somewhere. So my first initial interest was I did, uh, we did the army and special forces training stuff. So it was just like muscle endurance, how long you can do something can last for before you throw up or, you know, faint. And so it was like, that's where I drew my first, uh, interest from. And then I realized I like that mental fortitude of it. So I started seeking other athletes that kind of had similar approaches or uh, needed the same thing kind of dialed in that mental fortitude. So it was more like long endurance events and stuff like that. So like a hundred kilometer cycle, it's not easy to cycle for like three or four hours. And that's a long time to really battle thoughts of wanting to quit and stuff like that. Um, then powerlifters and bodybuilders, because they kind of powerlifters, it's just putting a sheer weight on you that can literally like, destroy you within seconds was always an amazing concept but bodybuilders because they kind of last out long sessions and just be able to take themselves into that hole uh didn't necessarily fall in love with anything like uh, volleyball or soccer and stuff like that because i found that they're, they're too diverse with that and they weren't getting that same like uh, crazy mindset that i was really drawn to when i was doing the stuff in the army and the special forces so there's those extremes trying to find that from there, I just learned about as many different sports as possible and then started helping people. But definitely long-term, uh, long-distance endurance stuff, bodybuilding, powerlifting has definitely, CrossFit has definitely been the areas that are focused on the most approaches and stuff. Uh, sorry, Tommy, from memory, just when you have done endurance events as well, yeah? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I worked with first... Will Crozier at the same time that I did a triathlon. So I was working Yeah, a triathlon. And... That was it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I did a... Uh, a 250 kilo deadlift, 250 kilo squat, and 147 bench in the same week that I did a triathlon down at Kingscliff. So, hmm. and I started off, I was, I, was, I was the heaviest guy in my class by like 30 kilos. <laughs> These yeah. guys were like light, light. <laughs> I, like, I came like six last or something, so I smoked some of them. So it was like, <laughs> wasn't, wasn't, the, wasn't the worst, but uh, I saw a lot of them gas out towards this like big last hill and stuff like that. And Second wins are kind of like my thing is in the army. If you like, you just get that, like, you know, the end's coming. So you just kind of get that whole concept of like reinvigorating the, that last energy reserves and just digging in even further and just finding a way to get through it. That kind of happened in there. And I just smoked past all these people. And the best look on there like, was their demoralized faces when they're like, how is this guy like 90 kilos running past me right now? And what's wow. going on? So, yeah. what, was, what, what was the hardest, uh, hardest leg? Was it the, the swimming? swimming? I'm a horrible swimmer. I've, like, I didn't get into a pool until I was like 12 years old. My like, mom never took us to one or anything. So learning to swim was a very, very hard, uh, slow process from like 12 years old, let alone trying to do it against other people and stuff. So, yeah, if you ever watch me swim, it's, it's, it's horrible. But you're also on top of each other pretty much, yeah, with the, the triathlon. That would be quite 
intimidating. Yeah, yeah. I, it was my first exposure to one like in person. So it was like the events are within like 45 seconds of each other and stuff like that as well. So if you're slow like I am, other events and stuff like overtake you or catch up mm. to you or, you know, you're fighting around other people and you're in the open water. We weren't in a pool or anything. So that you get the, the um, ocean and the river knocking you around and stuff. So it's really hard. And we did that right after there was like massive floods or something down in um, near the Tweed where there were like logs and stuff like that were floating down the river. So we had to actually reverse, they reversed the course so that we could go wow. with uh, some of the current for a little bit because there was so much debris in the water and stuff like that. Um, they managed to clear half of it, but like by three hours later when they did that to the event going through, there's just so much crap there as well. Well, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. And Tommy wouldn't know this, but back in the day, Dalton, I, um, I was a cyclist and I, and I Ooh, had yeah. a friend, um, I had a friend uh, who I was worked for a courier company. So the guy I worked with was a push bike courier. That was the connection. We used to go for rides on the weekend and we did, it sort of came to a crescendo and um, I was reasonably fit. We'd been riding sort of most weekends. And I actually, if you know the old Pacific highway, went up to from Gosford, sort of down to pie in the sky, then went back to Gosford. And it was, you know, a good five hour ride. And I, and I actually zipped past a few pills and another couple of bikers. And I, and I had a gel pack at the bottom. Yeah, I flew past these guys. I left my mate who was a push bike courier. But the, my claim to fame was this uh, loop the lake around Lake Macquarie and it's this ride. And it's a charity sort of ride, but there are guys that, that there's like pelotons that sort of take <laughs> off and they try to do it in a really quick time. And, and I, was go- I was overtaking people the whole time. It was quite, uh, it was quite, I impressed myself. Like I'm not a very good cyclist, but it was, and I don't know if that helped me with the first bodybuilding show because I did the bodybuilding show after that, but it was that, yeah, you're fatigued, but there were hills and you're just out of the saddle grinding away, then just overtaking people. Something yeah. came over me. It was beyond just the fatigue. And I, and I just, I had to get up this hill and I had to get past all these people. And yeah. Can I just, I just want to ask just while we're on that, because it is a, I actually, <laughs> I did do an adventure race once. And the second wind when running is something that I would plan for, I would expect, I would wait for it in practice and everything. So I want to ask Dalton, yeah. is there something beyond the second wind psychology that tips into physiology? Cause there wasn't like, you notice a surge and a change of energy yeah. and last for quite some time. So is it just the mind controlling the body hormone release? Yeah, well, and there's just on? like a little trickle of adrenaline that goes along with that. Knowing that like the, the finish line is in, is relatively inside. You don't give all those, that energy when you know that you're only halfway through and stuff like that. So there's yeah. that there's a little bit of like adrenaline from excitement and nerves, knowing that you're about to like race everyone else to the finish line and stuff like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely mainly psychology when it comes to that. Yeah. Interesting. Fascinating. Sometimes I would, um, when I was running, I would, cause I love playing cricket as well. I'd visualize batting and I'd visualize an innings and scoring runs. And as I got closer, <laughs> as I got to the nineties in my mind, as I got closer to scoring a hundred, the fucking adrenaline would build and uh, it would carry me into the second wave. Yeah. Super powerful. Wow. Uh, forecasting or imagining and projecting and doing visualization and stuff like that. Super powerful. I don't know why more coaches don't talk about it with athletes and clients and stuff because there's a lot of research behind it, but just, sit there and close your eyes and imagine yourself doing something, painting that picture, creating it real in your mind is it's, it's very uh, invigorating and doing it. You actually get better at it through doing that. There's there's studies to prove that people are just envisioning taking shots and stuff like that, performing better. So it's definitely a massive part of it. 
Mm. It's interesting. And then I, I've had that discussion with Luke Tullock, a, a listener's groundskeeper, Willie. He, um, even with like medications and stuff like that, you know, the, the nocebo and placebo, and I thought, oh, this is going to, this is going to, oh, you're going to get a headache from this pill. And oh, yeah, all the headaches. Ah, it's so bad. Yeah, the headache is like a trigger yeah. pill. Like mm-hmm. the, the power of the mind is just, yeah, I mean, literally, it's mind boggling. It's, it's yeah, just, isn't it? I um going on the the ability to kind of grind through just quickly is I talk about this with bodybuilders and stuff a lot. Their sets are relatively short compared to an endurance sport, and so I'm like, you have to be able to get into this mindset and imagine that you're grinding through uh, for you know 30 to 45 seconds as you're trying to do these reps and stuff like that. And I'm like, your sport's super easy because all you have to do is be able to commit for that period of time. Imagine, and like, this is when bodybuilders would kind of get offended by the fact that you could say that endurance athletes might be outperforming them in some of the levels and stuff like that. But I'm like, you have to grind away for hours, half an hour to an hour, like events, especially when you're depleted and stuff like that. And you're able to maintain a pace, even though it's like a lower intensity and you're able to sustain it for a longer period of time and your def- different energy systems and stuff having the ability to put yourself in that hole grind out and imagine you're doing a similar thing where you've got to maintain the same intensity the whole way through as a bodybuilder but you know that you're trying to use a higher range of uh, fuels you're actually uh, you can extend how long you last in those sets working through things so when people are saying oh i'm only able to do three by 12 at 100 kilos or something like that like if we sit here and imagine how it would be if you had to do this for a lot longer, I guarantee you if we put you through these reps and stuff like that, you'd be able to sustain them because quite easily our mind puts a restriction, a limit on how much energy we're going to extend ourselves into things. As soon as you're given a task, yeah. you mental map it, put a restriction on how hard you'll apply yourself to doing it because it's a preservation of your life. Your body goes, how do I stop you from killing me right now? What do I have to give so that we can tick it off to say, yes, we gave our we gave a lot of effort, not all the effort, not everything, but we gave a lot of effort. And that way you don't have this conflicting with the values that you have of how hard I train. When you tell people that you go balls to the wall and stuff like that, you literally mean it. It just might not mean actually going the whole way, but Mm. you're also not going against what your body and physiology need in that you, you obviously want to protect yourself and do the work as well. So it's a bit of a thing that happens, but when I get people to envision and uh, imagine it and we talk out the logic of that and we practice it, they're able to do way more and a lot longer and sustain it for a way better. So it's definitely a practice that I think more coaches should be uh, using. Absolutely. I love that. And they don't know what they don't know. It's like, oh, yeah, no, oh, so I pushed as hard as I did. No, you didn't. I just said to say, no, you don't. You can go harder. But maybe a little more tact and, <laughs> and you know, discussion might go a Sometimes. long way with that. Sometimes. Sometimes well, it's like, all right, I'm just going to make you do a photo set until like you can't move your arms. And then they're like, I did yeah. 31 and you said I could, uh, I thought I could only do 12. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it segues us nicely into what has brought you here today, Dalton. And basically we want to have a, a, you know, an extended look at the uh, psychology of, of behavior, behavior change. Before we came on here, I think you said it made a very interesting point about with your clients and uh, compliance being not necessarily getting them to do what you want them to do, but to stop doing these habituated negative things that are holding them back from their goals stop doing what they've always done Um, and so what we'll do today is sort of paint the picture for how we can then in subsequent episodes lay out what the system is and then we'll do a case study so Mm -hmm. if you could now just sort of open the open the door for us and and let us start walking us through where your philosophy comes from 
Yeah, cool. As I kind of pointed out to you guys a little bit earlier, I was getting to a point of working with clients where about week five to week eight, I would find people losing motivation, dropping off their adherence, slipping, uh, you know, and what I, people would jump on with me, would do a phone call, we'd talk about what they want to achieve. And in my mind, people are paying for a result. So I would go, okay, this is, they, they want five kilos. Like this is an expected time. This is an appropriate amount of fat loss and stuff that we could aim for each week. If you want to lose five kilos, it's going to be about 10 weeks. If we add in two diet breaks, that's 12 weeks. It's kind of perfect. We have a 12 week minimum thing. So this all like ticks all the boxes and stuff here. Setting it up kind of like that with uh, superficial goals would have people excited initially, but you know, it would drop off the, the appeal, the sexiness of it and stuff like that kind of falls away and they're just like, oh, well, I'm just working away at doing something again. And in doing that, like, things would always pop up, you know, weddings, funerals, promotions, getting held back at work, school, whatever the case, family. Um, stuff would pop up and it would pop up enough that by that stage, they're kind of less and less resilient to trying to figure out a work around things. They're more uh, accepting of something uh, happening to them and influencing them in a way that they go, uh, not prioritizing whatever I want to achieve and I'll make something else a focus. It could be you know, going out with friends and stuff like that. It could just be not paying attention to their nutrition. And so I'd get to these, uh, um, these like week five to week eight, and I'd just be, I'd get frustrated with clients and thinking about how am I delivering information? What am I doing that isn't helping them understand what I want to have happen? Uh, and I would, we would use that as kind of like this second win to same deal, go like, oh, this is our chance. We've got a couple of weeks left before the end of the 12. If you don't want to keep working with me, let's see what more of a result we can kind of get, knowing that they've got, you know, just a few weeks to kind of give that little bit of extra effort and commit back to it. Um, and I'd go, right, let's five kilos. What do we have to do to get that in this time? Uh, and how do we get that? If we have to extend it, what does this look like? And all those realities and those situations and stuff like that, uh, can either be a little bit demoralizing to people or like it gives them enough of an inf like in inclination for them to want to move forward and have a crack. And, but then like it, I end up happening again at either the 12 week mark or the results would just never be spectacular. And I was always like, ah, what have I done wrong? How have I delivered something wrong because i don't think it's a client's fault when i'm telling them to do something and it doesn't align with what ha actually happens and especially when it starts to happen not frequently but when you have those same experiences over a couple of years you start to see it's like oh this is a bit of a, a pattern of what's going on here so there has to be definitely some self-diagnosis of how things are being delivered and through that i was like all right i kept getting people's behaviors that i wanted to have changed influence the things that we were setting up to move forward with to help them along. So there was like, there's these key concepts of things for people that have successful fat loss and keep kept it off. And that's like, uh, they weigh themselves daily. They do a, a high activity. So it's like 10,000 steps. They do some form of training. So whether it be cardiovascular or weight training, they have a low fat diet. Um, that's tends to be the higher, uh, um, macro uh, distribution range that is reported in successful fat loss. Uh, and they do those things plus get adequate sleep. So six to eight hours a night, those five key things. So it's like, if those five key things are the behaviors that I'm trying to get people to do and their old behaviors, their past habits and stuff kept rocking up and interrupting them or life would happen. And we didn't have plans for them in place. Uh, I was realizing that the reason they weren't being successful in this, some of this habit change was, stuff that we just hadn't addressed to 
reduce down those old influences from past behaviors and habits, or I wasn't creating enough emphasis on the stuff that we wanted to change. And just through the natural uh, decline of things, it would just you know fall apart. So we found the values or the goals that they had weren't strong enough and the behaviors and stuff were at a conflict with what was going on. So in doing that, I kind of kept trying to assess and figure out if there was something else that I was doing wrong or if that was it. Uh, and I tested it more on clients and I kind of realized that the more I read into it, the more I try to figure out how to change people's behavior, the more I realized that setting up their behavior and getting them ready to make these changes and stuff was just as important. So I was like, oh, okay, let's have a look back into like goal setting and stuff like that. See if there's a way that I can change that. And I started reviewing stuff like smart goals, you know, the same shit that every cert three and cert four trainers like gone through their certification. They're like, just sort of out, you know, it goes through the acronyms. Like you got a winning goal to help people along the way. What I didn't realize is whilst that's a great framework, it provides no sustenance unless you actually figure out the why of what, why a client wants to like lose weight. Right. So if someone just comes to you and says, I want to lose five kilos, you're like, awesome, sweet. Uh, like you could lose five kilos having a, a massive bowel movement. It doesn't really, it doesn't really like mean anything successful. Oh, you, right? you use the laxatives too. That's my trick. Yeah. Right. Like, if I want to be lighter, like done. Same deal. Like if they come to you with like, Oh, I just want to feel happy. You're like, cool go have a like, chocolate bar because you're going to be happy. And like, it's like, there's no, there's no sustenance to it. It's not a real sustainable goal. It's just, it's a fleeting thing or something that can be achieved without like any thought or willpower or anything like that. So I was like, we have to stop. Uh, I had to stop allowing these people to come to me with goals that like uh, had those. And was like, how do I get a little bit deeper and figure out the value of what they're trying to do and figure out where those values are kind of conflicting. And I talk about this to people all the time when I say values in Australia, most people are like, is that kind of like goals or your checklist or something like that? And it's like, it's a little bit deeper than that. And there's typically behaviors that you would like people to describe you as. That's the easiest way to think about it. So if you like, when you talk to people, they're like, oh, he's really uh, honest. You know, that's an easy value to kind of identify or like, he's really caring if you had a relationship and stuff like that. If someone said that about you, it would make you like feel like, nice and fuzzy and on the inside. So those are values. But if there's something that you can yeah. take off or you've just gone like, yep, done. It's not really a value. It's kind of, it's an action that would probably befit a value or something like that. Is it, is uh, if you get told you're unemotional, is that a, is that a, a value that, uh, that's uh, worthy or th- is that maybe? I think it would probably be a little bit deeper than that. I think it would come to like, oh. it would be, like yeah like it could be like a self-esteem or self-confidence or a self-caring issue like not issue but conflict it could be someone has expectations of x and your expectations are y and yeah so, damn straight yeah when you're being told to do something and you're they're receiving it it's like there's this uh, a misdirection in that but i don't think that would necessarily mm-hmm. be a value and stuff like that or, or it may just be the end up rodan yeah. Well, yes, yes. That, that uh, the, the the drug cocktail, Tom. That's there's, right. There's a lot going on. We, but where do we start? How how long is the piece of string? I mean, we can start. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> so yeah, that like we we talk about values and try and figure out what those values are for people. Like in doing that, you kind of get an insight into what actually motivates them. So it's like, oh, if they if they want to be seen as like self caring, you're like, all right what behaviors, what actions, what things can we add to your, your life that make you feel self-caring? 
because then you've got something that makes you feel warm inside, something that uh, aligns with who you want to be and how you want to live. So if those goals that we have align with that, it's likely that you're going to be able to do that. But if you come, someone comes to you with like, I just want to lose five kilos, it's, they probably don't actually want to lose the five kilos. There's probably shit going on underneath that. If you ask why, it could be like, I don't feel comfortable with my clothes. Why? Well, because my partner doesn't look at me anymore. Well, why? Well, like we're not having sex and stuff anymore and we don't talk and like we never seem to be agreeing on things. Like they're real reasons to want to change things and that sustains you. Like if your partner's not like talking to you and stuff anymore and you like want to find that confidence and stuff again, that's fire to make you want to change. Wanting to kind of lose five kilos is not addressing any of the issues that are going on. And it's so like superficial that you can kind of just breeze past it. It doesn't help you sustain it when it's hard. Tell me, uh, Dalton, are you seeing some common themes? Like, uh, you know, like that, that five kilo scenario, is it, is, mm-hmm. is it, are they similar things you're seeing like with women who want to lose five kilos? Are they? Yeah. Like it's, uh, I probably see the main common values that kind of come up is like, a conflict in having confidence, uh, self-acceptance, caring, and living. Te- technically, fitness does fall within a value. You can be fit and it can be something that you see and stuff like that. I, I tend to say that it's a little bit more of like you want to be adventurous, caring, and like have uh, like self-caring and have self-esteem. I think they kind of more roll into one, but I definitely see confidence being an issue, self-care, self-esteem, those ones being the main ones that rock up for most people. I have seen other ones, but uh, they generally start to go along the lines of like actual uh, psychological disorders and stuff that we would yeah. that I'd need to refer out to get someone to just go through and work on them with before they can come back and work with me. Um, and they could be stuff like, uh, like having a conflict of like adventurousness where they want to, they take a whole bunch of risk-taking attitudes and behaviors and stuff like that, or like drug-taking behaviors and stuff that you're just like, it's probably not going to help if we work together. It's probably going to exacerbate the issues and stuff like that. Um, we just getting some, like talking to someone about it and then coming back uh, would be a better way to move forward. But um, definitely confidence, self-esteem, self-caring and honesty. Those are the ones that kind of pop up the most because they kind of fall in so like broadly within about 80% of like interactions and stuff like that. Like what do people really care about? Like, eating, getting laid, making sure they don't die, uh, getting some sunlight. Like those are real things like the needs and stuff like that of like just existing. So if there's stuff that kind of interrupts that or gets in the way of that, they're the ones that are going to be probably the most uh, prevalent and the ones that are not easy to, but like just they, they appear very quickly. It's not, it doesn't take hours of counseling or working through like with multiple t- t- ally team specialists to uncover this certain truth of what's going on with this one individual. It's kind of more of those general across the board things. Um, because when you start seeing like those areas rock up, you kind of see like typical other issues, which would be like general anxiety disorders or panic disorders or, um, you know, having depression and stuff like that. They all kind of align with those goals and those values being interrupted. Uh, so if you're sorry, if those needs and those values being interrupted. So, you're not getting enough sunlight, you don't get enough food and enough sleep, then yeah, it's easy to start feeling depressed and stuff like that. And then in doing that, you can lead down the road of behaviors where you start doing things that exacerbate that condition as opposed to like alleviate it because you're seeking to go away from the problem. And so food or like alcohol or drugs could be the answer to get away from the problem as opposed to dealing with it. Interesting. I'm not sure if you've heard of Dr. John Martini at all. 
Daltz, but um, he's got a he's got a pretty good, clear, workable model for uh, values determination, and he's got like this values determination. Pro- I've done a number of his uh, courses and, and a couple of uh, mm-hmm. certifications, and it's basically mm-hmm. a process of questions: How do you fill your space? What do you spend your money on? Mm-hmm. Um, where in your life are you most organised? Mm-hmm. What do you what are you you know always on time for? What do you think about in your spare time? What do you visualise yourself about? You know, for us on this call or, you know, for Rawdon, it's very clear. For me, it's very clear, you know, uh, training or body composition or these things are always very high on our list of values because it's what we do and it's what our life demonstrates, Mm -hmm. you know. And so someone comes to us and wants to lose five kilos, if they do their um, hierarchy of values, it might be work might be their number one priority and they're very good at their business or or their job. They're very organized and they're efficient and they think about it. Then it might be their family, you know, then there could be a list of things and then exercise or training is inherently going to be further down that values list because they're not good at that. You know, that's why they're coming to get you. So how do you start shifting and working with values and getting people to start to, to shift their hierarchy? I create a conflict. I create people like to be consistent, right? So if you, you tell like if you you tell people that family is one of your highest priorities or business is one of your highest priorities, and you're like, all right, cool. So for you to be able to run around with your family in 20 years time doing this with your kids and stuff like that, if you have no fitness, uh-huh. like how is that going to make you feel? And already they're like, uh, probably not great. And I'm like, all right, now imagine you do everything in your power, only the small things that need to happen, but everything in your power in your day to make that. Uh, eventuality kind of disappear like just shut your eyes and like go through that what would that look like paint the picture what does it sound like how does it that future give it as much context as possible because at the moment what you're doing is you're creating the opposite you're setting yourself up for that in the next 20 years you're going to have a whole bunch of health issues where hypertension obesity overweightness like low cardiovascular function all of these are going to get in the way of you doing anything. You're going to shy away from social activities. You're going to pull away from uh, your partner and you're going to regress away from having an interaction and stuff with your kids. You're literally setting up a life right now, even though it's in uh, line with the values that you have with your uh, family being the highest, uh, your family or business being the highest priority, you're actually setting yourself up so that these things come last. And so by not taking care of yourself, Ooh. you don't actually let these things be ticked off and valued. So you're you're actually not doing the things that you want and when you when they realize that they're like ah oh. yeah i'm like oh, I, i'm not telling you to like start doing becoming iron man or anything i'm like i'm just saying go out and walk outside three down three times a week with maybe like a t-shirt on so that you can get a bit more sun and stuff like that instead of wearing a jumper right and when they oh, see that they're just like bah. because we don't like being called out on like inconsistent if i so i tell people like i love this stuff right and if someone could find a way for me to feel like I didn't love research and stuff. Like that. I'd be like, what the fuck? that's like who I am. So like I have to quickly mm. fix this and change mm. this. I want to do that. So if you can point out where the stuff falls apart, it helps them like realize the, the value of what you're actually trying to do. You're not trying to like coerce them or tell them the wrong things or lie to them and stuff like that. You're just pointing out the reality of the situation is like, I, I and you don't even have to do this in like a, a sales call process or something. Like you can just have a normal conversation with someone talking about this stuff. And be like, yeah, man, like it literally just means that what you've picked and done, uh, whilst it ticks off these boxes for you now, it depends on what time frame and stuff we put on it. So I like to use a question is, am I living the life that puts me towards the stuff that I want to achieve in my life? Or like, does this make me feel like I'm living a healthy and 
a value-based life. Does this tick push me in those directions or does it not? Because if I can't think of a reason of why it does contribute to me feeling better and living that life that I want to be living, then I just don't do it. And as much as I fucking hate it, it's like the most basic stuff posted on Instagram, but they're like the white chicks are right when they come to saying like, live your best life. Like <laughs> as much as it's horrible fucking information, yeah. it's, you want to be doing something like that. Like, you don't want to get 10 years into this well, and regret it and hate it and stuff like that. Well, it's funny you uh, say that. I sign <laughs> off my uh, audio review every week with something cheesy like that. It, it goes down very well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I, I only it. hate it just because it's like generally accompanying a, like, a butthole photo where they're like, <laughs> and you're like, okay, understand that. Okay, so so you're sort of getting the the individual. You're I've just got an image of a butthole now, but but you're getting the individual. <laughs> you're you're getting the values and and I guess shuffling them around, make them sort of realize yeah. things, and then is it okay? Here's your nutrition plan, training, away you go, slap them on the back, or what sort uh, of. It really depends on how people receive the information and stuff like that. So like I try and gauge it through conversation as to how willing they're going to be, because there's a difference in like helping them understand these things, but then their ability to go like, all right, cool. I want to work on these. If you can hit someone home with something that really conflicts with them, they'll be hundred percent motivated and stuff like that. But it doesn't, it's very rare that you hit someone like that where they go like, fuck, you've shown me the light. I need to like change everything and go do something different. Um, to like make sure that I live the next 15, 20 years or something like that. For most people, it's like, ah, oh, cool, damn it. You've proven to me that like probably what I'm doing isn't the best things. Um, but they've been led by, misled by people all the time before, right? Every time there's a fucking eight-week restrictive diet of like bullshit, like this week we're blocking coffee, this week we're ketones, next week we're going high carb, the week after that we're just vegetarians. And they're like, weeks is later you're like 100 like a thousand calorie diets it's like yeah you've lost all this weight they've done all that shit before so if you tell them to give, give them those like groundbreaking moments those aha moments and then tell them all right we've got to overhaul your whole lifestyle this is the, like yeah. already not interested again you've already lost them and so for most people it's like how do you like the, people want to do things that make them feel like they're succeeding so how do you how can you set them up so that they do literally something in that first week or that first interaction together or that by the next time that you talk to them, how can they do stuff that literally ticks the boxes for them to succeed? So I just find the lowest hanging fruit of what that could be. It could be, I just want you to think about your food this week. I don't want you to change your diet plan. I don't want you to do anything this week. I just want you to think about the stuff that you're putting in your mouth and eating general mindful practices like that where people actually have to stop and break up the habit loops that go on cause people to be a little bit more intrinsic and they actually make health conscious behaviors so you don't even have to say like eat a little bit more like proteins and plants and stuff like that most people when you go let's just pay attention to what you're eating they go oh man i probably shouldn't eat four uber eats orders this week and stuff like that maybe like a salad wouldn't go astray just like reflecting but most of the time we ignore it because we've got something else going on in our mind so it's like oh don't pay attention to that, like those thoughts and feelings, because that's a little bit uncomfortable to think about me doing something wrong about with my body and stuff like that. How about I just focus on the other stuff that is stressing me out and they're kind of just avoiding the issue of what's going on, going on and therefore justify the consumption of ordering out the Uber Eats and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I just try and find something that is easy, so easy for them to do. It's like this week, drink a bottle of water or have like five glasses it- of water. It's interesting, Dalton. Um, uh, Tommy probably recalls. Uh, I don't know if you heard the podcast, but if you remember, Tommy Juan Carlos uh, 
from the DR, he, um, remember he would start with, okay, you're just going to drink more water. I want the nutrition plan. I want, you know, what are you going to tell me to eat? Uh-uh. Mm. Just go drink some more water this week. Mm-hmm. They come back the following week. Okay. Now we're going to, is it, is it, um, I, mean, I would assume it would be case by case. Like some would want to, maybe that def- defining moment you, and you do have that, that, that light bulb moment. They're like, okay, yeah. I'm on board. Let's, let's, let's go. Yeah. Balls deep, yeah so balls like, that, that conversation, when I have that with people, if I, if I realize that and I'm like, sweet, like you're super committed let's move forward. I'd give them a bunch of stuff to do, but the longest right. hanging fruit is like your self assessor, right? Like, does it sound like this person's going to have a hard time like food prepping for this week and stuff like that? Is that the, like a 40 year old mum that's like just jumped on board with you had that aha moment and you're like, I'm um, like, I could lose her right now if I ask her to do too much or I can really win yeah. and have her just do something that she knows she can do that will make her feel great to keep her coming back. So with that, I just do the lowest hanging fruit or whatever that is. But if, it was someone that had more time more energy had a little bit more knowledge around nutrition and training and just needed to kick up the ass and stuff like that i'd be like dude you're going to kill it this week but every meal has to be like 30 grams of protein weigh it out and stuff like yeah. that i want you in that habit jump on the scales take some photos like let's go through the whole process uh i'd still make it lowest hanging fruit but it would be a whole bunch more it <laughs> is ultimately have you resigned yourself to the fact that some may well just be over the eight weeks or whatever it is duration, it might just by the end of it, they might be sleeping a little bit better. They're drinking some more water. You know, maybe dinner has more protein in it and, and you're content or mm-hmm. are you always trying to get them to that point where they're doing 30 grams every meal, they sleep some point, they're training three times a week. Like what is the, are you okay with, with drinking a bottle of water a week and uh, taking a couple of fish oil by the end of eight weeks? No, nah, no, nah, no way. I um, have this whole idea of getting a step process. So my thing is like, just kind of always be one step in front of them. But over that eight weeks, it to be like a graded, but moved along process. So it's not something like slowly uh, wait for them to kind of meet me at the next step and stuff like that. It's like, no, like all they need is a, a like small sparks to kind of ignite what's going on. And they need those small wins, but I don't have to wait six days for them to feel that small win three days of them going like, oh yeah, getting in some water and stuff like that starts to tick and make that easy. So when I speak to them, they're like, oh yeah, I've already started doing this. Great. Cool. Now we're onto this. Like we, so it's a, a progressional model that uh, had like literally moves them forward. So I don't let them wait for a time for them to be like, ah, oh, I'm at Zen right now. I think I'm ready and accepting <laughs> for this next stage that you're going to put me on. For me, it's like, cool. No, I want you to be mindful of these things as we move through, pay attention to them create that awareness much like in bodybuilding you want to know understand the muscles and stuff like that that are moving around where you're working and you know ultimately feel it out i want people to pay attention to that stuff as well pay attention to the lifestyle pay attention to your nutrition pay attention to the stuff that uh is your behaviors and habits that kind of either allow you to be successful or don't allow you to be successful so i just kind of pull them along over that and um i do that across about 12 weeks and so do you have to reverse engineer it to a degree and, you know, explain to them what the, the goal is so that they know where they're, where they're going and, and lay some of the path out in front of them? Or do you just sort of spring it on them when they're ready? Yeah, I try, <laughs> try to let it kind of, I try and give them an idea that there's a path and stuff for that in front of them. But I, I can, I'm so hands-on that I continually feedback and watch to see where people are and stuff like that. So most likely I'll nudge people forward earlier than what the plan says and stuff. I'll just bring it and go like, cool, we're here. You're killing it. 
let's go. We've got this ready to go. Uh, we just need you to download my fitness pal today and we're going to start tracking food or something like that. I always have them uh, kind of pulling it forward. But if I say to them, like, it's a 16-week program where we're focusing on doing something like this and it sounds very uh, doable for most people that the biggest restriction, like, objection is like it's either too expensive or it sounds like it's going to be a lot of work and it's like, well, 20 years of shitty habits is a lot of work to mm. undo, but we've got to find a way to do it. Yeah. However, so if you say it's kind of going to be like a, an easier process for them to walk along and do and stuff like that, it drops that objection for you to then introduce it and say, hey, you're actually killing this. It's not as hard as you thought it was going to be. We innately go through these processes where we try and uh, say that it's going to be too hard and avoid doing any of these things that here, but facing our own failures is confronting and it's hard. So now that you're killing it, let's make these steps move forward. And my end goal is not to have them doing their tracking and stuff like that for forever. It's actually to go from no knowledge or crappy knowledge to better knowledge, to applied knowledge in tracking metrics, whatever it could be like through diaries, like, uh, like hands using the hand guides and stuff like that, plate models and stuff like that for like what food could look like to actual structured tracking eating down to the grams back again so that they go less and less and more into an intuitive model where they have that information to make that those decisions. But I hate this concept of people having this idea of how to do things intuitively without any information. Like, like fuck we are. We're horrible at it. We've never been good at doing things. So why would I not set them up with as much information as possible so that when they do it, they are able to do it in a way that has information behind it so they make guided decisions and stuff like that much like you guys aren't still like tracking everything down to every gram and stuff like that. You've done it enough that you know what needs to be done so that you can. And when you need to, like you have to, sure. If I have to track, I will. But if I don't have to, because of my like years and years of doing this with people, I probably don't have to do it until like, like that end stages and stuff like that. And a perfect example is Eric Helms. He just intuitively went through his bodybuilding prep doing the same thing, right? Like as you get to those stages, you make decisions, make adjustments. And if you have to tighten it, you have to tighten it. Yeah, and even um, Mano did that. He sort of got to a point, then he said, then he had to, then he had right. to like pull it in and, and yeah. start tracking everything to get. How many people one. were like? I, and I'm also trying not to get people like shredded jumping off on stage and stuff like that. Uh, for most of these people, it's how do I live without having to pay someone to teach me how to diet every year or every eight weeks and stuff like that? How do I do this kind of self semi successfully that we don't have this issue of weight regain that goes on the research shows it's like prevalent it's like 76 percent of weight loss studies end up with weight regain mm. you know, within two years it's something crazy like 89 percent. so when you see that yeah. happening like why bother with all these crazy measures and stuff like this if people can't mm. sustain it figure out how to change the shit that's going on that makes them back at this weight so address those yeah things. And, and, like, and that's the point you know sorry. like biggest loser is often sort of thrown around it's like they go into the house and they go out and it's like well that's pretty much painting a picture of, albeit yeah. you're, you're not doing what they're doing, the biggest loser, restricting them. And no, you can't, you got to exercise, go to, there's a fridge with a piece of fish in it and a couple of broccoli florets and, and that's it. But, you know, they do inevitably go back to, they go out of that environment, all the things that they were doing, which they look like that was yeah. hard they were enjoying and they revert back to the same lifestyle, the same habits. And then, you know, and the funny thing is they've actually probably lost a bit of muscle mass, so they actually gain more fat. They come back, they're even bigger, you know, it's, uh, but yeah. the very thing you're talking about, they're going back to the same behaviors. Yeah, yeah, and we talk about the after-after a lot. We talk about, like, like the microenvironment management and stuff like that a lot. I think that gets thrown around way too much in the industry is that people are like, just 
you know, come home and change your environment, put fruit out on the table and make sure that <laughs> chocolates aren't in sight and stuff. And it's like, cool, but I don't want them to fucking buy the chocolates to put it in the house and make it an issue and stuff like that. I yeah. want them to eat a little bit more plants and stuff like this. So whilst management of the micro environment works, it's when they leave the house, if there's fucking chocolate around, they're going to eat it. If there's Maccas there, they're going to walk into it and buy it. So it's like, I don't want to just live in this bubble where they're never allowed to leave the house again to successfully manage their lifestyle, their uh, body composition. I want them to be able to go out in the world, do the things that they need to do, be consciously aware of their decisions that they're going to have an impact upon, uh, like uh, either positively or negatively, but at the end of the day, be okay with whatever their consequences are. And, but mm. they also have the capacity to correct them when they go wrong. Well, Dalton, I would say that um, if you've taken someone through the process of, of establishing that strong mental connection with the, the goal that they're after and the, the consequence of not achieving it and you've, you've got that buy-in, you then start layering in these behavioural changes, this low-hanging fruit, which is easy to pick off and they gain momentum and you might even shuffle them along ahead of a schedule, which feels even better. And their body mm -hmm. starts changing. Then they start learning about uh, caloric value in, in foods and nutrition. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're yeah. dropping nuggets of wisdom the whole way along and explaining the physiology of what's going on in their body so they learn about what their body's doing and how it's feeling. And then they get to a point where they start working back the other way to where they can intuitively eat or auto-regulate and they, and they know what they're doing. But it's not just that they've changed their lifestyle, but they've actually physically changed the structures within inside their brain and, and how they think about everything that they're actually doing in their lifestyle. Yeah, very much so. So like the connections and the neurons within your brain doing a specific behavior get more and more refined the more you do it over and over again, right? It's like this idea of if you were to ride a bike, the, the pathway would just get so ingrained that you you can never forget to ride a bike, right? You can do it, not do it for 50 years and still jump on a bike and understand how to do it. Mm. So we're trying to interrupt those connections that have already been built and we're also trying to create new pathways for them to be then layered on with people, but also making sure that they're the stuff that is the right things for them as well. We have these ideas of what these like key behaviors are to, for long-term sustainable uh, weight maintenance after a diet period or continually even weight loss if they like. So it's making sure that these pathways actually get fed, they get uh, aligned and um, we don't end up reintroducing either those old behaviors and stuff like that, that could just start to undo it. We want to stop triggering those old behaviors. We want to ingrain the new stuff that we have worked on. And we do that by pausing or interrupt, interrupting that, that habit loop that tends to happen and allowing some self-awareness or for them to be able to acknowledge whatever behavior that was about to happen, induce the new one and not feel guilty about not doing the old one, feel better about doing the new one and deepen these uh, neural neurological pathways that are essentially being created from new behaviors. And are those factors, were they those five factors that you rattled off earlier in the interview, those five key factors that, that long-term studies have, have shown? Can you say they're those the again? They're the, it's the National Weight Loss Registry in the US. So it's uh, a low carbohydrate diet, daily weighing, high activity, which I believe they, they say it's between seven and a half and 10,000 steps a day, uh, weight training or some form of cardiovascular training and six to eight hours of sleep. And that's, that's the stuff we talk to people and stuff all the time. Yeah. About. We're like, do these, like eventually that's like, like the key stuff that we're trying to get people to do. Right. The hard thing is for most people, they're like, ah, oh, that's not, it's not calorie cycling. That's not circadian rhythm alignment. That's not, you know, doing boring workouts and stuff like that mm -hmm. every day. 
And unfortunately, yeah. So like we get into this idea that it's like, that it's boring, but my whole thing is like, I think it's sexy as fuck. And I start telling everyone, I'm like, it's sexy because you actually are in the better body composition right now. We're doing things that you want to be right now. And you're actually in essence going to get more sex out of it as well. So like it fits all those categories. <laughs> it's not boring. Very nice. It, it is sexy. And I'm, I'm thinking about buttholes again. Oh yeah, me too. Did you go there as well, Tommy? Yeah, that's straight where I went. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I'm going to think when we do the intro for Dalton. It's like, yeah, it was a great. I think we spoke about buttholes mostly, but uh, it was great content. Yeah, <laughs> we're only human. Yeah. If you think about everyone who you know who's uh, in, you know, has really good body composition, all of those five things you rattled off are part of their existence. It's yeah, a, and at it's, least it's funny, right? Like I talk a. So the biggest one that I get resistance to is people saying like, oh, I, don't, I can't do a low fat diet. It has to be like a high fat or whatever. And I'm like, cool. It doesn't really matter. As long as you calorie control, everything else, yeah. is kind of, that, that's just noise so, or personal preference and whatnot. But everything else is like the key stuff that people are doing over and over again. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's a message that people don't pay attention to enough because what they see is like the marketing stuff of like, this is what matters. But they don't actually go, hmm, how about I just watch what the successful people are doing and emulate them, right? Like, hmm. and just practice that. Because if you want to be a lean person, you kind of got to eat like a lean person. You don't see people who manage their body composition well gorging out on food and shit all the time. They just end up losing their body composition. And, and their body literally tells you the answers. There's no, like, there's no hiding it. Yeah, and, and, and it's um, like that they're sort of categorizing the different parts and the, the, the 10,000 steps and the training and the your low fat diet and, and working to sleep. But if you were to, like, everyone's got this, oh, so and so, they can stay, they always stay shredded, man. They've got a fast metabolism. If you were actually to follow them around, just look, hide in the bushes, come yeah. out, be a creek, follow them around all day, it's like, man, they're really active and, mm-hmm. oh, they're at the gym again. They went to the gym this morning, huh? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, they're eating, they haven't eaten out all day, all week they didn't eat out. Wow. And, geez, they went to bed at, at, at 9 p.m. and they got up at, you know, it's it's all the shit that they're doing anyway. It's just, mm-hmm. you know yeah. what I mean? It's not like it's, yeah. they're, they're magical and they've got this and they've got that. It's like, it's definitely the grand chain amino acids. People are supposed <laughs> to do, we're, we're, we're supposed to move. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the leucine. The yeah. Lucine in the yeah. Uh, yes. yeah exactly. the timing of my essential amino acid spike is what <laughs> is the optimal approach. I'll have you know. So, I was just going to say, like, sleep is is something that, and I'm pretty sure you'll agree, Tommy. Like, uh, you know, it's uh, six to eight hours. Um, that can well, I just go to bed at this time. Yeah, this like, how do you have a little for our listeners? Like, I mean, we'd have to go into a lot of detail, but you have a little box of tricks that you're to work, like sleep hygiene type stuff. But that is that 100%. something that you would have to that tackle? I would assume that would be a big yeah. part of, yeah. of this for most people. Yeah. And for just five complex payments of $199. <laughs> <laughs> um, I sleep is a really easy one. I'm like, don't be on a device within 30 minutes of trying to get to sleep just because we're wired to like, it's information, it's energizing. As much as it's got the blue light, we're still discovering yes. how detrimental and stuff that is, if it, if it is or how detrimental. You see some stuff, but the, the research is really new, so it's hard to make definitive statements that it is or isn't bad, but we know it's interruptive. So having that in our face, we know that traditionally 
through our circadian rhythm, we wouldn't have exposure to light after dark anyway. So that is a little bit interruptive with what goes on with our physiology. So trying to not have something like a TV playing or a phone in your face and stuff like that, probably not the worst idea. Having a light globally in your, in your uh, room to read or something like that is probably not too bad of an idea because you can kind of, you can get most people, it's drowsy inducing doing that. It's mentally tiring. So that actually helps people kind of fall asleep a little bit faster. Um, but if not, no, no phone, no book, just trying to like pace themselves, listen to their breathing and slow their body down helps induce sleep as well. If you really want to, you can have a high carb meal within 20 to 30 minutes before bed to get that serotonin yep. to feel really like elated. You also get the shift in blood glucose levels, which makes everyone else feel really good. It's that like fullness feeling where you get drowsy after a high carb meal. Um, so you can do those cooling the room down or cooling your like allowing your body to cool down is definitely one that helps out as well. I've, I don't even know what the technology is, but I just got a pillow that holds no body heat. So like, I don't, I used to get really bad, like pillows and sweat all around the back of my neck and stuff like, <clears throat> like that. Cause I just run hot. Nothing like, so this thing just like, like all heat just gets uh, dissipated and it's amazing. I do all of those things. Plus, I just try and get people to be a little bit more mindful of their sleep routines and stuff like that. So it's like, yeah. go in and like pay attention, trying to do this and find the amount of hours that works. We have a range of about six to eight hours is like the health guidelines, right? But depending on where you wake up in whichever REM cycle, you could be either like halfway through one when that happens, or you could be, you know, uh, just finish one a little bit earlier. Doesn't necessarily mean that you like have to ignore what your body's naturally doing and force yourself to go through the six hours and stuff like that. So I get people to test out from six hours all the way up to about nine and a half. And I'm like, we just keep a log and see where they feel better and how they felt throughout the day, how their hunger and stuff like that was. Cause we were always captured hunger, energy scores and stuff. So as they go along, if their hunger's like through the roof and they had, you know, a seven and a half hour sleep, but then they're eight and a half, their hunger's at zero and they feel way more refreshed and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah. we'll focus on eight and a half. That would be your key number and stuff like that. So kind of make that a non-negotiable in having that uh, the case. That's good. Uh, it's something that, that obviously, Tommy, you, part of what you do, part of what I do, part of where I used to work, I'm sure it's part of where you used to work. Like it's something that you're sort of aware of and mm -hmm. of late I haven't, like I sort of, Brush past, yeah, man. Make sure you get your sleep. You know, it's very important. You won't lose legs if you don't get sleep. You want to get straight, you get to sleep. Yeah. And I watched a, a TED talk with um. I don't, you probably have seen him, Matt, uh, Professor Matt Walker. Have you seen okay. heard of him? Yes. yes. He's a, a neuroscientist. Oh, okay. I think I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, like the guy, really easy to listen to, but like a the, the Jedi master of, of sleep, you know, and he rattled off all the all the horrible things that happen with with poor sleep. Mm. And, but one of the things that I think um, he pretty much said all the things that are similar to what you said just then, but one that I thought was quite good that um, you, know, you don't really think of, but he said, if, you, if you're not sleeping, so say you're in bed and you're, you're tossing and turning, he said, get out of bed, go do something else, go watch, read a book, get out of the room because you, you don't want to associate that place as somewhere mm -hmm. where you toss and turn and, and, mm -hmm. and don't sleep. So as soon as yeah. you're in that situation where you, you know you're not going to have a sleep for whatever reason, just get up and five and go back to bed. Like when you're in that, in the bed, in that room, you sleep, you know? Mm -hmm. So anytime you're not, I mean, obviously you might be doing something else, buttholes and whatnot, but, mm -hmm. but apart from that, you know, it, just to recognize that that's a, a, a moment to get up. Don't beat yourself yeah. up. It's like, get out, come back when you're, when you're tired. I thought that was yeah. really interesting. It's I, very I didn't much really like, ever uh, think of that. 
Pavlov's dogs where like that kind of trigger association of what's going on. So knowing that you're going into bed is kind of inducing you to be a little bit more sleepy and stuff like that as well. And mm. some of our patterning and behavior. So that's very, like heaps of truth to that. Uh, and I love that. I like, um, <clears throat> I don't encourage, I actually try and uh, encourage people to eat uh, like at the dinner table with people and like not rush through meals and stuff like that. But I definitely yeah. don't encourage people eating in bed and um, like hanging out in bed or working from their bed and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, get out and do it because there has to be some like some differentiation in the place, the locality that you're at for when you wake up, when you work, when you go to sleep and stuff, if it's yeah. all in that same spot, it's like so unhealthy. Yeah. Hey, uh, Dolts, have you looked into the, um, I guess the biological evolution of behavior change or, or what sets up, what makes human beings such funny habitual creatures? I love this topic. So I think the best people to like best uh, authority on this is Robert Sapolsky is an amazing evolutionary biologist. So if you want to learn all about it, go listen to his stuff and talk about it. Um, Learning how like stress obviously influences all of our physiology is really, really important. Behavioral change is it's likely like we theorize because obviously we don't know, but it's likely led to whatever is a survival or a conservation of life. Uh, idea. So we get stress, we induce anxiety, we have depression, we inform or create these habits and behaviors because of what it does to help protect us from either protect us from dying or protect us from having to navigate manually finding of food, like finding of shelter, finding of water and stuff like that. So we've got these intrinsic urges, psychological priming that happens where uh, it's done in a way to just protect us from dying essentially so that we don't have to navigate that. So imagine if you had to much like breathing, imagine if you had to do that every second, right? Like it just, you just never do anything else because you just, all you focus on is being able to like next breath. Same deal with when it comes to like finding a food, same deal when it comes to like uh, finding a mate, finding water and stuff like that. If you had to consciously think about that stuff all the time, you'd never be able to screen the area for like attacks would be uh, bombarded with, um, like finding like better food that happened to be somewhere else just because you look there. Uh, so a lot of that formation happens around just that basic sort of survival. Um, and so the theory and some of the stuff when it comes to like habit formation is that we just do the easiest thing that it is to do to tick off that, those lists where we just create those things to happen. But in this kind of world where we're in, enveloped with things that uh, that fit those those criteria, but actually probably don't help us as much. So habitually seeking food and stuff uh, after a particular time of day or a particular event, you know, it could be leaving your house and something like that. Uh, the priming that might've happened from you walking past a coffee shop one day and smelling the food to then eventually the marketing that influences you to uh, subliminally pick up whatever the messages and stuff that they're selling about how amazing their food is to you eventually going at one point in time where your body goes, we haven't had enough food. We need to find food. Where's somewhere yeah. that we can get food along this way? And it's a subconscious thought. You're not actually na- like consciously navigating this thought process, but because it leads you there, it can end up being a behavior. And then after you eventually do this behavior repeatedly enough, you form it into a habit where you just continually just subconsciously do it without any uh, conscious thinking. So we know that by being a species that has a consciousness, we're able to like think on a few different levels, but because of that, we're also a species that can do like episodic foresight and hindsight, right? We can imagine a future and we can imagine our past and we can imagine ourselves in the future thinking about our past being present. 
Like that mental uh, map done by any other buttholes, buttholes, buttholes. That mental map done by any other animal, they just like they don't uh, nothing. They've got not even close. But like me saying that is not a foreign concept to you. You can imagine yourself no. being in the future, right? Like, and that's not a hard thing. And that's a, an amazing skill for us to be able to have. So for mm. us to be able to psychologically induce stress, psychologically induce. Uh, triggers for us to either need to lead on behavioral change or habit formation means that we actually don't have to navigate that at a conscious level. It's done stuff that's done at the subconscious level. So, which is where it becomes just hard to, hard to do for people is because they don't actually know how to get it to a conscious level or find ways to, uh, to stop it happening. And that could be as simple as like habit interruption or uh, we call it like trigger, triggering interruption, something to break the pattern and stuff that uh, doesn't allow it to just happen naturally. Because some people, when you talk to them about behavior, like habits that they do, I, you can talk like there's, I've never had it personally, but I've seen clients that have had food behaviors where they have no recollection of going and buying the food and sitting down and eating it and stuff like that. But when you talk to them about it, yeah, like, I've heard that too. I, did, like, I, I just, they're like, where did this food come from? What did I do? And they just get into these like, not, almost a trance-like state, but there's a subconscious level where they're not even thinking about that. They're trying to escape. Uh, either some experiential avoidance or other stuff that's going on so they don't feel about that and their body just finds to go autopilot and works through it. Hmm. Crazy. Interesting. Very interesting. And fun. Well, um, that's been a, about an hour or so. So I think uh, are we have we laid the platform well enough to actually start next time explaining and breaking down what the some specific steps along this all the key phases of the say a 16 week program that would walk someone through it yeah for sure um all right besides like those those main points there's kind of uh how people get into like habits is like they don't realize that they kind of they might have gone done like a, a, st- a trans theoretical model is the stages of change where you go to that pre-contemplation to the the contemplation preparation action maintenance that whole concept. So for people that have done like a Cert 3, Cert 4, that's not an unfamiliar concept. They kind of do that alongside of smart goals and dieting and stuff like that. That is kind of how people have always gone about and just thought about behavioral change. So it's like, oh yeah, people just navigate and move through this like in a linear fashion and they just go around and before you know it, they're kind of maintaining. It's like, it's not at all how it happens. Like much like everything is when we kind of model it out from initial ideas, it's like, instead of it being a line, it's always these like, weird shapes or circles and stuff like that that kind of feed into each other so that's definitely something that on the next one we can dive right into and talk about how where, how and where they will work and where they don't and kind of where the current models are at awesome that'd be great yeah it'd be fun maybe we could uh have a have a few mushies uh what, what were the different ones you had some champignons or lion's mane lion's mane yeah mm. it's not those yeah. little button mushrooms they're no good <laughs> it's so tasty though it's so tasty yeah. uh, i don't know how i i just i thought about them one day and then i thought about them some more i saw an ad for them and next thing i know i had a, a plate of button mushrooms in front of me it was uh, crazy influence that's how it happens the habit just crept up on me the bloody thing yeah or just I- priming you over and over and over again yeah <laughs> mushrooms um all right dalton so we'll um what we should actually do is uh if someone wants to get in contact with you what's the best way they get in contact 
Yeah, yeah. sweet. So uh, I've got an email. Uh, sorry, email. I've got a website now, daltonfrank.com, which is fun. So it's just first name, last name.com. Uh, there's an inquiry form or all the, all the different services and stuff that they can find out what I do and how, how to get involved if they want to. Uh, and I'm, I'm the, like, currently doing kind of something that no one else in the industry is doing is focusing on behavioral change to couple it with nutrition and training to help out people achieve this long-term uh, sustainability because I kind of got to a point where I was like, I need to learn from someone who's doing this better. And I looked and no one was doing it. So I was like, well, guess I'm doing it by myself. <laughs> and through that, awesome. I kind of turned that into a, a system that I work through with clients and a stage progression to move through, which a lot of people would have heard kind of in this conversation around it. Yeah. But yeah, if you want to find out more about how that works, jump on the website. There's all the info there. Or and DM Insta me, whatever, totally. It, it, Instagram, cool. it, Instagram there as well. You got your de- uh, yeah, I got that. So it's just at Dalton Frank, same deal. Oh, actually, no, it's now Dalton Frank Coaching. Because I've got yeah. plans for other stuff that might happen with Dalton Frank. So Awesome. Yeah, great. Right, well, uh, it's an absolute pleasure, man. And uh, I, I was, uh, I was actually quite uh, pumped to get you on and, and, and have a Thank chat. You. Not only, you know, I mean, get broads on. You'll want us broads again, you know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I was excited to have you on. So, absolute pleasure on my behalf. Thanks, man. Love well, it. it's actually it's actually one of um, one of under the bar's key strategies is to mm. um, identify someone who's going places <laughs> and latch on just before yeah. they, just, just when they're on the precipice. So, <laughs> so we can, hopefully, so we can, hopefully, I can live up to that. Yeah. So we can retrospectively, you know, with a bit of a disdain and anger. Well, we we created I him. him. Yeah, yeah. He was. Yeah. He did a three-parter on our podcast first. Yeah. Don't yeah. worry. I'll, I'll, cool. I'll bring you guys with me. We'll, we'll find a way to do some Beautiful. more mushrooms together. Absolutely. Nice. nice. All right, Dolts. Thanks for that, mate. There he was, mm. Rodan Dalton Frank, for part one mm. of this three-part series. Part one. One. What we'll find over the uh, the coming interviews, I think, is uh, his ability to just take a tangent on any topic and fill you in mm. with a Gatling gun-like mm. uh, information on all the Touch studies the and Bryant. all the data. Yeah, he's great. Mm, mm, so mm. really looking forward to uh, part two coming but, up next week. Yeah, and he's... Um like I like I said at the start, I think he's destined. His trajectory, mm. the vector. He's, he's shot the arrow. It's going to land on the. Yeah. It's going to land on. I'm the, heading down to the lab now. Well, hold, mate, on, hold, so on, hold on, hold on. Wait for me. Okay. Okay. Uh, so that was Dolan. So that was a pretty good show, mate. I was, <laughs> it was. It was. I was quite happy with that. Um, I'm excited, Tom. I'm really excited. Okay. Right, okay. Just come over here. What have you got? Just come over to this bench here, Tommy. See, mm-hmm. I've got this uh, the green syringe. Okay. <clears throat> a little dangerous. And the uh, the blue syringe. Yes. Okay. Now, myostatin inhibitors is what I'm trying to. Uh, oh. Myostatin. Have you seen that that Belgian bull? The big one. Let me just. Hang really, on, mate. I'm just put this into your neck, oh, mate. You've done it again. Nope. Just hop. Ah, how does that feel? Oh, it feels pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna get out of here anyway, Tommy. Run. Run.